Hello, welcome back to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelics, science, and psychotherapy. So today, Brian and I are going to open up a very large can of worms that I'm sure we'll not be able to close down by the end of the episode. In fact, we don't come anywhere close to closing it down. It's a topic that we'll continue to revisit again and again and again over time because of its central importance. How do we have these experiences and instead of being a sort of an island something that was pretty cool but separate like a vacation um, into something that informs and shapes our ability to live a life that is more full and rich and meaningful after we have the experience we'll talk about that today uh, and explore various practices ideas of integration and just how we make sense of our psychedelic experiences and how to make sense of our psychedelic experiences for the clients we could potentially work with. So it's a very important conversation. It's the first of many. And if you enjoy the conversation, please consider reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as sharing it on social media. That'll help us continue to find a wider audience and have these sorts of conversations about important aspects of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy so here's the show our beginning foray into the broad topic of psychedelic integration enjoy Hey, Brian. Um, today we're going to talk about psychedelic integration. You know, that's a huge, it's almost a buzzword at this point, integration, and talking about what that uh, means. Everybody seems to think it's important. There's pretty universal agreement that this is an important thing. What I find less evident is what the heck that thing is that we're referring to when we use the word psychedelic integration. So what do you think? What are, what's your perspective on what the word psychedelic, the phrase psychedelic integration means and why is it important? Yeah, that word gets tossed around a lot. And, and I think a lot of different people think about integration differently. So it, it's defined differently by different, different folks. For me, integration is a really essential aspect of psychedelic experiences, um, more so the ones that are involved in therapeutic change or inner work or inner development, right? Maybe not as relevant for psychedelic experiences that are more fun, like going to a concert or something like that. Um, but when you're using psychedelics in a very intentional way, you go into it with an intention, you're seeking help or you're seeking healing, integration is a really important part. And so one very broad way to define it, maybe the simplest way is, um, you know, everything that you do after a psychedelic session to help uh, maximize the benefits that you got from that altered state's experience. So everything you do afterwards to maximize the benefits of the psychedelic experience. So more specifically, <clears throat> you know, integration can have various purposes depending on, you know, what the intention is depending on what the experience that the person had was like. And, and you know what, I think one thing that 
that a lot of people don't realize you hear about psychedelics as transformative and life-changing, but very often you can have that really kind of blown away mystical experience uh, where everything just seems different. But then if there's nothing that's done afterwards, if there's no effort or attention placed into making changes or or cultivating those insights into more lasting perspective, those experiences can quickly fade. And people will often describe that, the disappointment or um, just the confusion of, you know, this seems so, so uh, important to me, you know, six months ago, and now it's kind of like this distant memory, like what happened? Yes, I think, I think that to really think about integration, sort of we have to have an idea of how we think psychedelics induce transformative, induce transformation. So how do they work? What's it doing? Because, you know, if it's, you know, just changes in your brain, um, I wouldn't think that integration would be all that important because your brain changes, but that's not my view. Um, I really believe that, you know, psychedelics, are effective in producing transformative change because psychedelics help us uh, learn. You know, they help us have new learning. You know, we have ex an experience um, that produces, you know, something, we learn something about the world. We learn something about ourselves. We learn something about the world. There's new learning that occurs. So we need to make sure if we're going to, to quote, integrate, you know, what that means is, is that new learning has to be applicable to our life, right? So what we learn when we are in altered state must also be relevant when we are not, you know? Because if it's an island, if it's just like, wow, this was this totally crazy experience, but it really doesn't have anything to do with how I live my life and how I go about things day to day. Maybe it has this little sheen that remains for a few months of like, oh, things look a little brighter and I have more of a felt sense of a presence of connection or something, you know, mystical, you know, that might carry on for a little while, but as you said, it fades, but really if we, the more we can bridge whatever it was that we learned, you know, while we were having this experience in a way that makes it coherent with our day-to-day -day life, you know, I think that's what can help us actually, you know, leverage that experience to make changes in our day-to-day -day living because, the circumstances of our life are very powerful in keeping things the same. Uh, and you see this, I'm sure as a therapist, um, I've seen this in a lot of contexts way back, you know, earlier in my career, I did wilderness work with adolescents and, you know, and they were in residential treatment and, you know, and they could really do some super transformative stuff. I mean, they could have, you know, they'd be in a program and really looking at their life differently and doing groups. And then we'd go on wilderness trips and they would think things that they hadn't thought before and see things in a different way and see different connections and be really inspired. But then they go back to the exact same environment they came back from. And the power of that is profound. You know, the power of, of, of the environment and the circumstances around you. I think it can be a really similar thing with a psychedelic experience. You have this and it's profound, but then you go back to the exact same life that you stepped out of for a moment and those same forces at work that brought you to the place where you were, they're still there. They're still doing the same thing. And unless you have a different way of interacting with those and a different way of actually changing 
some of those by making this deciding to make structural changes in your life so that you don't encounter the same forces unless there's some bridge there it's only a matter of time before you're going to end up in the same spot you were beforehand and so how do we to me that the question of integration is how do we leverage that experience to really aggressively create changes in the context of your day-to-day life mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah it's a super important point and you know that it reminds me of of you know this idea of of how stigma plays a role in that you can have again this this beautiful transformative experience but because psychedelics are stigmatized you might not have space to really openly talk about or process or share this experience with other people and so some some folks wind up just minimizing or devaluing or just keeping to themselves these really powerful experiences that then don't really get used in a, in a helpful way. And, you know, thinking about cultures, you know, older cultures that have used psychedelics as part of their culture, that didn't exist, right? It was psychedelics were more embedded into just the culture. And so there were avenues for people to integrate that were already built in. And, and so that's very different than, than our current situation. And, and one thing that's related to that, that I like to think about is you and I are therapists. So we, we, we're sort of biased in a lot of ways just to focus on the individual and the individual level. But integration is you know, often a community um, activity. It involves other people, it involves relationships, even relationships to, you know, land or place, relationships to local, to family members, to local community, to larger communities. And so when we think about integration, we can think about it on all of these different levels. Uh, Again, it's a very broad term um, that can refer to a lot of different activities or methods or processes that are, again, kind of oriented towards making the most of a psychedelic experience. Yes. And in other cultures, right, that have used these in ways that are sort of consistent with their their own culture, you know, historically, there's a space for that. There's a space for processing that. There's a space for understanding that there is a meaning attached to that experience and room for it, you know, room for it to, this can inform our view of the world, right? There's, you have this experience and then you come back and there is a a culture sort of built around maybe that understanding that you've had that other people have also had. And so it is a cultural uh, community activity. It is not activity, but just a way of being that we don't have. And I think what you're pointing out in my view is a limitation, uh, sort of a really major limitation culturally. And, um, you know, in the profession of therapy actually is that there is such a hyper individualistic focus. Uh, Cause that's, you know, when we do our work, that's what we're working on. We're working with a person. So our chance to impact this person's life is via them, <laughs> you know, it, it's via working with them and their perspective, which is, really limited in what you can do. Um, It's not to say that there's not things you can do, but it is really limited because of sort of what I mentioned before, just about the power of context. And, you know, when you plug somebody back in, when they plug themselves back into everything as it existed before, um, the inertia to pull someone back into, you know, what the way things have always been is tremendous. And so, 
when we talk about creating change, this is not happening in a vacuum. It's not like that person can just go have this experience and then they can change and nothing else about their lives changes. Like that's not going to stick. I don't believe, you know, it's not going to stick. Like I went, I had experience. I totally changed. I went back to my life and nothing else changed. And that's cool. Like, I think that that's probably rare. I'm sure it could happen, but those changes are going to kind of necessitate other changes, right. To make one's, to make one's environment, to make one's social relationships, uh, to make one's uh, maybe livelihood, maybe way they interact with the world more consistent with what they learned, what they saw, what they experienced, you know, when they had their experience, when they had their psychedelic experience. So the change has to ripple outwards, you know, and so how do we help facilitate that? You know, and how do we help? um, I think part of it is helping people become aware of that, but also I think there's work, culturally and not it just within a therapy office, you know, that's like building, building communities that, that talk about this, you know, building awareness on a society wide level of, you know, how we integrate, how we integrate, how we talk about these experiences, how we make room for, you know, a set of values that might be evoked. So integration is a, it isn't just about one person, sort of adapting their brains to fit better, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. On an individual level, though, one you know, common thing that, that we could say is part of psychedelic experiences is the surfacing of a lot of material that was previously not present. Um, so you know, looking at memories, problems, um, difficult emotions, um, new ways of seeing things. And so, you know, thinking about from a therapy perspective, there can be a lot of material to work on when a, when a client might be stuck for, for a while and they come to session and they're, they're not really, you know, there's not much new. They've, they've tried to enact change. It doesn't really work. And then suddenly they have this, you know, beneficial psychedelic experience. And there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of experiences to process and make sense of and, and figure out what did this mean and how, how can I learn from this? And so it can accelerate a therapeutic process uh, by, by unearthing things or, or changing things or shaking things up in a way that, um, with with a process like psychotherapy can can they can work together i think there are a lot of ways to leverage therapy for integration um, i think the two things one that you mentioned essentially uh, by sort of being able to unpack and process sort of previously sort of unworked with uh, experiences and i think the other piece is it sort of loosens you know, a lot of times I'm sure you've experienced, you know, I mean, when someone comes into therapy, they are sort of really <clears throat> stuck and not seeing, not seeing a lot of ways that they can interact with their life differently. You know, they, they, they're very rigid in their beliefs about what's possible, what they're capable of doing in a situation, what they want to do. And so they kind of, it's sort of this, this trap. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, flexibility that comes after a psychedelic experience. You kind of see a lot a lot more possibility. And so I think it's really important to jump on that quickly. Okay, you can you actually feel like you can do something different. Let's do something different right now. Start to interact with your life differently right now. So you can begin getting different feedback 
from your life than what you normally get. Cause you normally get the same feedback again and again and again. That's why you're stuck. I do this, this happens. It always happens this way. So then I do this and this happens and it always happens this way, but you don't try that because it's just not in your idea of something that possibly you could do or that it would work. Or, so you have this flexibility. Oh, I can try this. And so I think really identifying very quickly ways to, do this differently, do that differently, try this, try that. You're introducing a lot of behavioral flexibility in right away because you can, and that enables you to begin to get different feedback from your life right away. Um, and that is the start of actually changing the circumstances of your life because when you're doing something different and then your life is reflecting something back to you differently, there's room there to kind of continue to go down that path and actually reshape the structure of your life, which is what we're talking about. It's like not just changing yourself and then kind of enjoying things, but actually changing things in your life and interacting with it differently and getting different feedback. Mm -hmm. An example of that might be, you know, someone who has an experience uh, in a psychedelic state of mind that, they, they need to be kinder to their bodies. They need to be, they need to be more healthy in some way. You know, maybe they have a desk job or they haven't been as physically active. And so, you know, there's, there's sort of an increased motivation or uh, willingness to, uh, to, to engage in some physical movement or maybe to start walking or to start, you know, eating healthier, um, that that actually arises naturally. A lot of folks, when they come back from you know these these more beneficial experiences, we'll we'll talk about it. it's just natural. They 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 want to choose healthier options. They want to be kinder to their bodies. They they want to sleep more. They're not as interested in alcohol. Uh, and so, if we can really help people, as you said, begin to establish new habits, that's more likely to last in terms of long term behavior change. Uh, then if a person isn't encouraged to put the effort in to really concretize or anchor those insights into something that's actually tangible that they can hold on to. That's a perfect example. And I'd, I'd actually like to be even more specific about it because I think that's a, an example that affects so many people in our modern world. And say, you know, you've been kind of um, not feeling well and kind of unhealthy and just saying to yourself for, for, weeks, months, even years. Oh, I just, I really got to get back to the gym. I got to get back to the gym. I just, oh man, I, 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 you know, I just keep hurting myself or I just don't feel like it, or I can't build it into my schedule. I got to get back to the gym. And then perhaps you have this experience, right. And you connect with your body physically because that's something that can very much happen. Like you just have a real embodied sense of movement, of feeling your muscles, of feeling what your body needs. And you know, part of that might be more evoking more. I'm more inspired to actually do it now. Maybe I'm more inspired to go to the gym, but maybe a part of it is that actually loosens up that even that, that perspective even a little more. And you realize, actually, I hate the fucking gym. I don't want to go to the gym. My body doesn't want to go to the gym, but you know what I like to do? I like to crank up the music and I like to dance. I like to dance hard. And I like to dance. For, yeah. And so it kind of loosens up. Like the important part here is my relationship with my body and feeling healthy and moving it. And moving it flexibly in ways that uh, that it that nourishes it. That's what's important here. This going to the gym is my very little prescribed way that I think that I'm supposed to nourish my body. But the truth is, I don't like to go to the gym. It's not my thing. And movement doesn't have to be in that box. And we can connect with that and see that and feel that and realize that, oh, 
actually, you know, maybe I should, uh, maybe I would be really fun. Like I like to walk. I just really like to walk and that's good. I'm going to walk more. You know, I'm going to be in the sun and I'm going to walk more. I'm going to dance more. Or I like to pick up heavy things, but I don't necessarily like to go do it, you know, at the gym. And, you know, there, there are other ways to pick up heavy things in the world. There are lots of heavy things, <laughs> you know, like there are ways to be physical that don't involve this one little thing that we have consigned being physical too. And I think that example goes for so many things in our life. We think I need to do this, but it's this tiny box and we just can't fit that box in maybe because it doesn't actually fit in our life. And maybe because we don't actually like that box, but we, that's the only possibility we give ourselves. But when we sort of have this sort of opening experience, we can see that there are myriad ways of nourishing ourselves on this aspect or that aspect of our lives that we just didn't even see as possibilities that we begin to be able to allow ourselves. There's so much potential that that comes out of an experience when it is again, more of a positive you know, beneficial, um, insightful experience. Uh, you know, one, an, an, another aspect of integration involves just simply creating a narrative about something that's essentially indescribable. Actually, every moment of our lives, it, it's, you could say it's true that words don't do it justice. Uh, we tend to live in, in an, uh, world, a world of ideas and language more than our actual, you know, s- rich sensory experience. But, but this during psychedelics is very, very clear how when you're in an altered state, there's just no words. And when, you, when you're in that state and you, you have these insights or you have a sense of oneness or connection uh, or calmness or joy that you, that, that you haven't experienced before, it can of, often be hard to remember that later on because it's, you know, our memories kind of function in normal, you know, waking consciousness. And so how do we take something that's essentially indescribable and, and find some narrative for it that, that really works, that's helpful, a way of interpreting these very ambiguous experiences, a way of holding these experiences uh, in our lives in a way that they, they, they give back to us. And sometimes, you know, after long after a psychedelic experience, the, the experience itself is, is very, like the memory of it is, is very, very faded. But the integration work, the, the work that's done to sort of describe it and, and talk about it and symbolize it and express it, that could be more accessible to a person. It goes back to, I think, what we talked about in one of the first couple episodes, the metaphor of the map, right? You know, so we have the uh, describing language as sort of like creating a map. You know, we're creating a map of the way we understand reality, of reality itself. Like, you know, we use our words to describe this is this is the world. This is how we see the world. You know, this is how I think about the world. So it's 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 analogous to a map. You know, you have the actual territory, and then you have the way I describe the territory, which isn't exactly the same thing. It's it's just a guideline to kind of help us understand the terrain, um, and you know that map has its errors built into it as we learn you know we don't learn we don't describe everything correctly we have limitations of language we have areas in which we just see things in a distorted manner um and when we uh have a especially a higher dose psychedelic experience you know that map is wiped away there's no map anymore 
and we are back to exploring the terrain, um, unmediated by our map, unmediated by our thoughts and concepts of how the world is, that's gone. And we're just back to like crawling over the terrain and exploring it. And, you know, that's obviously um, a chance to sort of recalibrate things. And I think there's, there's two parts. One is like you mentioned the narrative, like it, it's like actually using then different language, adjusting and recalibrating our map to more um, usefully describe the terrain in a way that, you know, is, is more consistent with, um, you know, with, with the narrative that, um, that is life, that is nourishing life affirming for us, you know, so there is actually making sense of the world and adapting our, you know, adapting our mental life to what we have learned, you know, so there's like this sense-making process of integrating, like, okay, I saw it this way before. And then I, you know, and then I had this really transformative experience and now I don't see it this way. So I'm describing things in a completely other way, in a way that's pretty durable, right? Like, I think that that map that we create, like you point out, is actually more durable. The experience will fade, but that sort of recalibration uh, of that narrative really is pretty durable. And the other piece is how do we also, and I think, you know, thinking about different activities become maybe integrating into our lives more of an ability to visit that non-conceptual place, you know, because okay. psychedelics aren't the only way to do it. It's not the only way to do it. I think it's the way to reliably do it in a very profound way, very quickly um, for just about anybody that's going to put you there. But there are other ways to kind of spend a little bit less time in that really thinky, heady, conceptual state of mind, you know, and I think that that's healthy to experience the world that way more, right? Um, and I'm not saying you're going to be in like a trippy place every day, but even if you engage in more activities like like art or painting or, or just things that are that are not so mentally directed you know um, i think that that can also allow that space to unfold a little bit more it gives it a little bit more room like i'm not trying to put everything in a box so there's those two tracks i see it as like one track is actually trying to recalibrate that that the way i see it make sense of it i'm going to find different words for how i am thinking about my life and the other one is not doing that not you know making sure you're giving time to that sort of non-directed non um conceptual activity does that does that make sense yeah you're speaking of the the real value of a multidisciplinary approach and integration and so you know even in the maps trials and uh, some of the psilocybin trials there's there's an emphasis during integration periods on you know nonverbal methods of ex of expression like drawing or painting uh dancing you know, uh, getting out in nature, maybe some type of body work. And so the, the idea, as you're saying, Nate, is, is, you know, can I cultivate a lifelong relationship with this more intuitive sense or pre-verbal aspect of my experience? That is often extremely important. It has a lot of information. It's where a lot of healing takes place. That's, again, outside of this verbal map realm that we spend so much of our time in. So can a psychedelic experience through through a good integration period, you know, can that 
help a person develop new tools. You know, maybe they develop a yoga practice that that comes out of their experience or they, you know, b- begin a new habit in their life where they're going out into nature more. And so they're, f- you know, c- finding ways to connect in, in more like smaller bite-sized bits with, with some of what was what was accessible in a, a very different, profound, extreme way in a psychedelic session. So a lot of folks who do integration therapy often involve a lot of these tools. And we should say too, that integration is a really individualized approach. It's different for every person. And, you know, when I work with clients who are integrating, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking to help them figure out what's best for them in, in their own situation and their own lives to accomplish whatever goals that they want to accomplish. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Wanting to go back uh, just to kind of deep in the um, example earlier of like a body work, you know, and the difference between sort of an instrumental approach, which I think we take to our lives a lot and like to imagine them sort of going into the working out, you know, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, run this far in this amount of time and want to keep, I'm going to make sure my heart rate is at this level. Or if you're lifting, you know, I want, you know, here's my goal. I'm going to incrementally increase my, uh, the weight that I'm lifting. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting in any way that there's anything wrong with those approaches. Um, and, uh, you know, I particularly like to lift, um, and I've enjoyed that on and off throughout my life, but there is a very instrumental, sort of approach to that. Like I am in an abstract way, sort of telling my body what I expect it to do. And then I'm doing that. And it, you know, I'm sort of following a formula, I'm setting goals and it's all very directed by, by my brain, by my, by my mental apparatus, you know, it's very much directed by that. And again, that's all well and good, but sometimes that gets us stuck, right? Sometimes our bodies change. Sometimes we have an injury. Sometimes it's, it's, it, we become stuck and we can't adapt to what our body needs. And I think it's those stuck points that really get us hung up and get us in places sometimes in which we are experiencing a great deal of suffering because we simply just can't adapt to a new reality. And I think that's when, you know, say like the psychedelic experience comes up and you can actually connect with your physical self, which maybe you're not doing so much when you're lifting it's like you're doing it but you're like and i I have this personal experience of understanding very much how you know when i'm lifting i'm I'm paying attention to my body but it's so easy to get you know hung up on the numbers and hung up on the well this i'm on the goal you know and on that it takes me almost away from my experience um, rather than deeper into it and so this sort of resetting one that can show you like, hey, let's pay attention to your body. Actually, what does your body feel like it needs? Your body knows what it needs. Your body knows the kind of movements it needs um, and gives your body the chance to direct in not a um, conceptual way, but in a direct, authentic, unmediated way. Um, your body will say, I like to move like this. I want to move like that. This part's sore because I'm using it too much and I need to, you know, like, it's not using those words, obviously, but it's, you know, and I think listening to that and giving space for that. And this is, you know, as I'm talking, I'm like, this is on the verge of sounding maybe a little, little woo, but I think it's really, there are ways that we communicate with ourselves that aren't just our brain telling ourselves what to do. 
I mean, we, yeah, we, we are animals, right? We have these bodies and I think it's so pervasive in our current culture that we, it's a top-down approach, you know, it's the, the, the mind is king and, uh, you know, verbal, rational language is, is the, 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 uh, you know, the water that we swim in for most of the time. And yeah, so many people in today's, today's day and age are disconnected from their sensory experiences, from the five senses, their bodies, what it's like to, to, to move in the world and to taste and to touch and to smell. Um, we live in an age of distraction and hyper-focus, hyper-busy, hyper-productivity, you know, so many clients I see, you know, work all the time, emails, phone calls, and they still feel, oh, I'm not doing enough. And this is the context, as you're saying, Nate, right? This is this is a powerful context that is, you know, so we don't even see most of the time how it is is shaping us in profound ways day to day. And you know, the beauty of a, of, a, of a psychedelic experience could be to really just completely step out of that, like a fish jumping out of water, which then is able to look down at the water and say, oh, wow, that's, that's what that is. And so we step out of our consciousness, we step out of our lives for a little bit, and we could then look at it and be like, what am I doing? What's, what, what's happening here? And some of these things can really kind of snap into clarity. Um, values is another thing that comes up in psychedelic experiences where, where what matters, what's most important is, is just so clear, you know, people or relationships or, or nature or taking care of ourselves. Um, it just, it, it, it enduring that experience, it, it can sort of just feel so clear to us what, what's important. And then we're able to take that forward and through integration processes, you know, ask ourselves, what would a life more in line with those values look like? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of to explicitly, like you just did tie uh, what we're terming, you know, integration here to like act to acceptance and commitment therapy. You know, I think there are a lot of really good ways to do that. Values is a, a great way you know, because when you have this sort of uh, direct experience, direct unmediated experience, um, when you take that sort of language apparatus and you take, you, you jump out of the water like the fish and you just kind of, you know, you're able to see with this, without the blinders on that you normally have on in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, I think that what does arise often is is a pretty clear sense of what matters, you know, pretty clear sense of like, oh, hold on, this is important and this is important. That's not important at all, you know, at all. Um, to keep, you know, to just be a metaphor to death, you know, you can see like going to the gym is not important. Moving my body is important, you know. Doing it this way is not, doesn't matter. Doing it, but, but nourishing myself in this way and moving because moving is wonderful, that is important. Um, and you can kind of, get us, you know, just becomes really clear, you know, what matters, what do I need? You know, what do I want to serve? Like what's important to me? And, and so those, those values, so I think that we have the opportunity then to in integration work is to explore that experience 
and to help verbalize those values, right? So you had this experience. What does that mean for you? Like, what, what, like, how would you like to then we're then we're using language to construct essentially, um, sort of durable concepts of what that meant, right? So what does it mean? You had this experience, right? Like you felt this way, and you started spontaneously started stretching and moving. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that my body feels chained up a lot, and I don't give it the freedom to move in a way that it wants to. Okay, we're starting to create a you know, we're trying to verbally create a value here, like not necessarily create it, verbally describe your experience of a value. Um, and so then you have shorthand for it. Then you can reference it really quickly because that's what our minds are good for. We, ha- we have a concept, we have a, a reference, and then we can build a, a committed action around it, you know, to, to, to stay with, with, uh, with act. We, you know, we can go, we can conceptualize it and really very clearly describe what experience we had and, and have a lot of connection and juice with that, right? Like a lot of like, you know, a lot of times you can, you can do values work and you can kind of get it right. Like, I know this is important, but I think the opportunity you have here is that you can just have it really loaded with feeling, you know? Right. So you're describing something and it's like all the way. Yes. Okay. I'm describing this. And these words are almost like radiant or glowing because they're so connected with the direct experience of the value. Mm-hmm. Right. And so these words are poignant and mean something. And then you directly have an opportunity to take though, to take that value. Like, well, how do I operationalize this tomorrow? Right. Like, how do I do that? Um, and, you know, you build in time and you, and you do that right then and there, you know, and you talk about here's X, Y, and Z, how I can operationalize this value, you know, how I can spend more time you know, with the people I care about. Here's exactly how I can do that. And here's, exactly how it's important. And I feel so connected to that, you know, so values and committed action, I think are, are just a tremendously important way to integrate. And because, and those also give us the chance to do what we spoke about at the beginning to actually change things, right. To actually live differently. You know, it isn't um, feeling, it isn't about just feeling differently. It's about taking that sense of value and then turning it into action and starting to get then different feedback from your life. And that's the path of change right there. Different action, different feedback, different action, different feedback, different action, different feedback. It can snowball. Other examples of values might be things like realizing I, I don't have enough play in my, in my life. I'm not playful. The things that I used to do to be playful have turned into chores. They've lost that playful quality um, or you know, what's missing from my life is a sense of adventure. I don't, uh, everything is routine and predictable. And I miss, you know, that when I was in college and I was traveling, like that quality is missing. And it's just very clear that that's, that's something to aim towards. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about positive experiences, beneficial experiences, but what about experiences that aren't positive or beneficial? Um, you know, considering experiences sometimes can be very neutral. Sometimes people will, you know, they'll go on an ayahuasca retreat and not experience much, or they can have an experience that's really confusing. It's not clear what, what happened Um, or an experience that has elements where it was really distressful or challenging. So Nate, how, how does integration deal with these types of experiences? You know, I think there's expectation setting, you know, I think that that's a part too. Um, 
you know, that, that just comes up for me thinking about because, and I think this is a, because psychedelics have kind of captured uh, people's imagination. And um, I think there's so much enthusiasm about it that I think there's a risk of somebody coming into an experience and be like, yep, this is it. This is the thing that's going to change my life. Um, and I think, so there's a little bit, um, and while I think that that's very likely to be the case for many, many, many people, I think there's a tremendous amount of disappointment that's, that can be there for one of those uh, neutral experiences. Um, and maybe disappointment wouldn't be the right word for a bad trip, but certainly a lot of confusion and, you know, maybe some disappointment too, like, well, that's definitely not what I meant to sign up for. Um, you know, so I think there's, um, really, you know, having to make, make space for people to have as little expectation as possible going in, which is really, again, hard in this particular climate because people are coming, you're going to be coming into this experience and, and largely expecting it to be, you know, one of these, you know, maybe like a mystical type experience they read about in, uh, Michael Pollan's book or something like that. Like they're going to expect this, this one thing. And, you know, that's, uh, that's not what the experience always gives you, as you're pointing out. It's not always that. It is frequently, but it isn't always. And I think that's another reason why generally more than one experience is important. You know, it's, it's important to have multiple uh, experiences instead of only one. Because, you know, you have one and maybe, I mean, I think especially if you are uh, never have had the experience before, um, and you take one and, and maybe the dosing is cautious, like it might not do much. Um, and, and so working with that, um, you know, with that disappointment and just sort of making space to talk about that disappointment, uh, is really important in the case of a relatively neutral experience, uh, in the case of an actively painful or, you know, bad experience, that's, there's a mechanism in these experiences that we have to acknowledge, like there's a mechanism for trauma here. You know, there's definitely a mechanism by which trauma can happen, you know? And I think that's important to recognize, you know, if you have an experience that is uh, so terrifying or frightening that, um, you know, like that's, if, 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 if we're not careful, there's a mechanism by which, you know, that that can be really upsetting, you know? And I think a term I just learned this week, um, was one of uh, described an experience as ontological shock, which means you kind of go into this experience and it's so disorienting and it so upends your view of the world that you come out of it like upset and really not sure what to make of it and kind of shocked by like, I don't, I can't look exactly at the world the same way and I don't know what to do with that. Um, and so, you know, when thinking about integrating those experiences, it's, you know, you, ha you have to make space for it. You have to give the person a chance to be with, you know, to, to be able to be with that experience, to talk about it, um, to become calm in the presence of that experience, you know, right? To, to, um, to begin to put things back together. Um, personally, I do think that subsequent psychedelic experiences are really important if you have a bad trip. I, I, that's, uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see data on that. My experience is that it's really important to have another one, um, to kind of, it's almost like an experience like that opens something and you need to be able to have a chance to work with it more. Um, uh, I don't know. That's, 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 
that's speculative on my part, I suppose. I don't know of any evidence on that. But you know, when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking about a lot of speculation. Um, but that that's sort of my experience. You, you need to be able to, to to work with that experience a little bit more because it is it presents a real challenge to. Um, and I think especially if you're a person who's just really, 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 really holding on to like, this is the way the world is, and this is the way it's supposed to be. And then you have something come along and try to pull that away. There's an incredible amount of tension and resistance there. Um, and uh, the psychedelic experience isn't always gentle about that. <laughs> not, not gentle at all. But I think it's important that we are gentle about that. And so that then we take our approach to integration, you know, really gently and really providing a lot of care and support um, and encouragement, um, you know, through that, that experience, because, you know, a lot of times that's a hill that people have to get over. I mean, it's what's keeping them stuck. Um, is there resistance? Is there unwillingness to change? Is there their um, attachment to a very particular perspective that is inflexible and unyielding. Um, so like, that's the problem. It's just that moving through that is a, a, a more uh, sort of a more violent experience rather than sort of a gentle one. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, one thing Nate and I, talk about a lot is the importance of acknowledging the harm of psychedelics. And so when we talk about distress, distressing experiences, you know, they're more often likely to occur in set and settings that aren't safe and supportive. Um, very often when, even when a, a set and setting is safe and supportive, there is some challenges that can come up, uh, but they typically resolve into some sort of growth or learning experience. And sometimes that does happen days, weeks, months later, and that's where integration plays a really important role. But it's also possible to have a psychedelic experience that is just traumatic and needs to be, uh, you know, kind of resolved in a way a trauma experience would. Uh, I spoke to someone recently um, it wasn't a client, but just a, a, a client contact where um, they had gone to one of these big ayahuasca retreat centers where it was like a hundred people in a room and they were having difficult, they'd never done ayahuasca before and they were having difficulty, but there weren't enough staff there to attend to everybody. Mm -hmm. And so they went through this really scary experience all by themselves um, and you know, we're, this was many months later, we're still struggling with, with, with dealing with this and had the, the, has this person had the clarity to say that, you know, I think if someone were with me, I, I would have been able to work through it. There, there could have been something valuable there, but because they were alone, um, it was really scary and overwhelming. And, and maybe there isn't, um, you know, a, a lot of learning that could come, you know, I think we, we were, we often say that the, the challenges always lead to learning and growth, but I think it's possible that sometimes it's just, uh, it could be a, a traumatic experience and that one just has to kind of come to terms with that. Um, and again, that that's, that's not happened in the clinical trials, um, where the, the set and setting have been really controlled for. And there's a, a you know, a, a safe, trusting therapeutic relationship to help when challenges arise and tools that, that the, the participant is taught to be able to navigate those difficulties. So, you know, a, a lot of integration work is driven by people's 
dis ongoing distressed or unresolved symptoms or new symptoms that come up um, after they have these powerful experiences. Um, you know, this is, you know, I think a lot of the retreat centers initially uh, in South America or other countries which is dump people off. You go for a week, you have your experiences and that's it. And I think more and more now are beginning to see that there needs to be a follow-up. So they offer follow-up integration, group support, um, you know, classes on, on material and things like that. Um, so integration, you know, can involve processing or coming to terms with something that was really hard. Yes. And, you know, if you're working uh, as a therapist, maybe you're not doing um, the psychedelic therapy itself. You know, maybe you work with somebody who comes in specifically for integration. Maybe you're working with um, someone just in the course of your regular practice who also discloses that they had a psychedelic experience as a, as a few years ago and, you know, it left them really shaken. Um, and then your integration work is in okay, how do we work with this? What was, what was a, a tough experience that has kind of left lingering, you know, perhaps anxiety, perhaps like uh, this sort of uh, experience of ontological shock, which is again, a term I just learned and I'm using it because I just think it's perfect. It's a wonderful term uh, for describing that state. Um, and that leaves sort of an uncertainty or an anxiety. And, and then that, then that sort of lingers. Now, you know, if that, same if that psychedelic experience had happened in a different environment i think that it, it's entirely likely that it would have been able to be worked through you know if you have safety and and you kind of can help you know there's things um in the session itself you know that you know if a person can be um you know oriented towards um the present moment a little more and uh and, you know i think that there's ways in the session but that's that you know, that's a different thing than this conversation today, which is about essentially integrating what happened. Um, and sometimes what happened is, you know, was done in a pretty uncontrolled setting. You know, they went to an ayahuasca retreat that was not done well, or, or they, you know, uh, were at a, a, a you know, rave or a concert or a festival, not in the last year, but, you know, some point in the past. <laughs> um, and it was an uncontrolled setting and it got away from them. And, and they um, really struggled. Um, and so then, you know, helping them to process it, helping them to talk about it, um, helping them uh, recognize uh, and conceptualize what had happened to kind of have words for it. And then I, I really do think, and I'd be interested in, in, in how this would play out um, because I think if some, for somebody who has an experience like that, maybe they have had an old one a few years ago that was, you know, kind of traumatic or kind of upsetting or left them with some sense of anxiety. Um, sort of it's my, I think that that person could really benefit from another experience to move through that, um, you know, to kind of resolve some of that shock that, that came up, some of that lingering kind of, uh, it's like getting, you, you get sort of like part of the way there and you recoil and you don't ever have the full experience of opening. You know, you kind of see, um, you know, maybe the aspects of a, a mystical experience that can be so terrifying beforehand, um, you know, and, but then you stop. Mm -hmm. And so then what it just seems like you just get stuck in that 
afraid part, that terror part that, Oh my gosh, my ego is disintegrating and you get stuck there. And like, that's where the experience you, you get halted and you don't move through that into that dissolving into an experience that is open and freeing, you know? And so that moving through that is really important because then you get to see what's on the other side. You get to see what's beyond that. And that is comforting and resolving and can help let that go. So I think in, in some cases, what that person may really need is, is the medicine more. Mm-hmm. And that's a common uh, adage in the psychedelic community, like trust the medicine or go back to the medicine. Uh, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that, what you're describing, Nate. Um, and I think sometimes it can be used in a way that could be harmful if a, if a, if a, you know, if a client feels or a person feels just really overwhelmed by an experience, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard of some cases where people will then just hear, oh, I need to do more medicine work. And, and really probably what they need is more integration and then preparation before, before medicine work. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, folks who are, you know, using psychedelics on an ongoing basis, we'll, we'll talk about how they decide when, when is another experience right for me? Um, you'll hear all kinds of different advice about, you know, someone will say, Oh, I, I, you know, I do one or two experiences a year or every four months or people kind of figure out what works best for them uh, to be able to, as Nate said, go back and, and continue some of this deeper work that's, that's available to us with psychedelics. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I think not just, it's not just a, like a, Hey, always, you just gotta do more. You just gotta do more. You just gotta do more. It's very much, um, should be in tune with, you know, what's needed, you know? And, and like, cause if a person's, you know, actively just upset by it, like what they need is calm down. <laughs> like that's the first order of business is to like, let's get safe. Let's get calm. You don't need like, no, don't run around, run out and, you know, do another really high dose experience because you need to work like slow down, you know, find, find work, you know, we work together to find a place of like calm, you know, um, that's really, really important. And then sort of being able to kind of mindfully assess, you know, well, what's the right next, what's, what's the next right thing, you know, what's the next right thing um, and not knee jerk, you know, just like, well, I better finish working through it. Let's just do some more. Um, you know, it, 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 there's a real high degree of gentleness, you know, just like any therapy, you know, there's a lot, lot, lot of gentleness that's required with that, um, gentleness and care and patience. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about re-entry into regular life after a psychedelic experience, um, so no matter what kind of experience you have, it can be difficult to to re to just to go back to work or go back to your home. Um, I'm, I'm going to use uh, Nate's phrase since I love it so much too. You know, the ontological shock that happens. You know, one example of that is. Uh, and there's actually data on this. There was a paper about um, people who went into DMT experiences as atheists and came out as spiritual or religious or having a belief in God. So imagine that you're you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, and then you have this psychedelic experience where you 
meet God and feel God and, and communicate and and have this sense of um, a world outside of our, our rational world that we can see. And that's a Friday afternoon. And then you go, you know, you go home Sunday to your family who knows you as an atheist. And all of a sudden you just want to talk about how you feel the presence of God in your heart and you feel uh, you feel a sense of spirituality and you know, so there can be so many difficulties of just kind of going, as we said, going back to those same environments, same relationships, same jobs, uh, especially when those situations aren't working to begin with. Um, you know, it can be hard enough to get re-entry into a life that's really working for somebody. Uh, but if someone's in a job or in a marriage or in a situation, and you know, where maybe there's uh, abuse or trauma, um, that can be really, really difficult. And so preparing people that, you know, even if you have a great experience, it can be really hard to go back to work on Monday. It's, it's a lot to sort of navigate normal life again. You might feel a little weird for a while so that when that happens, the person is not um, freaked out or they don't panic or they don't worry. And again, through an integration process, they can work with that and begin to kind of uh, merge whatever came up in that psychedelic experience with their, their older way of being and their older way of seeing things. So a, a kind of a funny story that's related. Um, uh, it's not about, it's not psychedelics per se, but um, when we were younger, uh, my wife, uh, as a, during the course of her graduate program, did a, uh, a two-week silent meditation retreat. So completely silent for two weeks up on a little mountain center. Um, and, you know, a long, uh, a long um, meditation experience like that can be very, can put you in a state that's very similar, um, especially if it's nonverbal. You know, your mind slows down and, and works fundamentally differently. And so when she was coming out of the experience, you know, the, the retreat leaders, you know, were, were clear like, hey, take this weekend to be really, really calm and, you know, re-enter very slowly you know, um, by the time you get to work on Monday, it's, it's probably going to be pretty hard. You're probably not going to feel like yourself exactly. Um, so make sure that you're real gentle and that you kind of warm up to other people um, and try to take it as slow as you can. Um, and that was a Friday night and I, I picked her up and we had tickets to go see uh, the dead at Red Rocks that night. So I picked her up directly from Red Rock, from the retreat center and drove two hours straight to Red Rocks, like poop right there. And <laughs> it was, it was quite something. She stepped out of the car and there were all these people and she was having a hard time getting ideas out. And she just looked like a deer in headlights. And we get up there, we're trying to go through security and the security people were looking at her like, Oh honey, we see. Yeah. You, you probably took a big dose. And she's like, no, no, I've just been in meditation. It was a completely overwhelming experience <laughs> for her. Um, and I think it's it's pretty similar to uh, a psychedelic experience in that it's like try to gently ease back in. You know, you're gonna wake up the next morning and you're gonna feel maybe potentially really great, but also really open and vulnerable and really like I don't know how to do the things that I normally do. <laughs> hmm, what would I normally do today? Should I do that? I, I hmm. And then that's a beautiful openness where you don't feel compelled to just do the same thing you always do. Like that's part of what's really beautiful about that the next day. You don't just get up and like, okay, well, 
we're back. Like it's this huge openness of like, I'm not, I don't know. There's possibility here. Um, but then when everything around, if, if you're in a situation where everything around you is calling you to, Hey, do the same thing. Like that's really kind of overwhelming and confusing. And, and, and I mean, just kind of a drag. Yeah, I've had a similar experience after a meditation retreat where I had a friend's wedding to go to and uh, it was like a, a, you know, silent retreat. And I remember going to this wedding and, you know, it's food and alcohol and dancing. And I just felt so strange after not talking to somebody (laughs) for a while. Um, And after meditation retreats, at least ones that I've been on, they often tell you, don't make any major decisions for a few days, which I think is often true with psychedelics as well. Don't, you know, don't um, rush out and make major life changes, right? We're talking about Mm -hmm. making change, but that part of integration is carefully thinking through, especially bigger decisions. You know, it might Mm -hmm. seem very obvious to you that your job is, is really causing harm in your life. Um, but that doesn't mean Monday morning you quit, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so taking the time to really kind of hold that. Okay, I have this new insight that my job is harmful. What can I? What can I do with that? Um, how do I? How do I skillfully take that knowledge and use it to enact change in my life? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Especially after I was, I was just saying, like, yeah, you'll get, you know change something and get the feedback and change something, get the feedback and change something, get the feedback. But yeah, don't quit your job. Um, <laughs> like, give it, like, give it a couple like of weeks at least. <laughs> right. Decisions of that level, you know, you might want to, um, uh, you might want to not make when you're just really raw from it, you know, try make changes and experiment. But yeah, I think that's, a, I think that's good. Don't just say, all right, I'm free. I'm going to just, I mean, I guess maybe there's a time and a place for that too, but it's not my first recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Think about it and give it, give it a little, if it still seems very clear to you, maybe after, you know, after some time has passed then, then but you know, maybe you want to have another job lined up or maybe you want to think about how you would do it. Um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't quit your job. It's just to, to spend some time with that decision. Mm-hmm. I think, you yeah, know, that's, in, a, in, that's a really good point. <laughs> As we talk about integration, it's it's such a big topic, and it's so important. I think uh, you know, I, I I I would even make the argument that what you know for for some experiences, what happens in integration is more important than the experience. Um, and things can happen in integration that are um, kind of trippy or kind of weird, or you know, like you you take the medicine or you take the the psychedelic and then you know days later like you still feel like i'm in an altered state and so it's this this very common advice that's given is that the the trip will unfold in its own time and sometimes that does take days or weeks or months it's not to scare people into thinking that you're going to be in some you know dysfunctional altered state forever but that that sometimes there there are um, insights or things that that take time to really um, bear fruit, uh, an experience that might have just felt like neutral or weird or ambiguous, suddenly over the course of time, and especially with integration work, um, can then begin to provide more clarity about, oh, that's what that was. That's why that came up. Um, th- that That's what that's about. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I think as these medicines are getting so much attention right now, it's, it's almost disorienting me to me to see like, wow, how, how, how much attention they're getting. Um, I mean, I think it's really important to note that like, okay, if we're talking about somebody dealing with a long pattern of depression or anxiety or, or something else that, you know, um, treatment resistant depression, you know, as they call it, um, where we're talking about, you know, deep seated problems often. Well, these compounds are amazing, but they're not magical. <laughs> like they're not magical. They're not like you take them and then it's fixed. Like there is a hell of a lot that goes into that change, you know, and, and it's going to be massively disruptive because if you're going to go from extremely depressed for a very long period of time, and you're going to end up not depressed anymore. That journey is a tremendous journey, right? And I think just because in some cases, maybe maybe we're finding it can happen pretty rapidly, doesn't mean it isn't still a hell of a journey, right? Like it, even if it takes place in a short amount of time, it's, it's a very long way to travel. <laughs> and so I don't think we, like, we, we can't pretend that this is just like, hey, you just take this medicine and, you know, month later you're you're feeling better like even if the dad ends up telling us that that that's that's a long way to go and to keep that up over a long period of time like there's just such a tremendous change that needs to happen that i think we need to you know understand that that's at times going to be somewhat unruly um and disorienting and that um and it doesn't just happen automatically you know that we have to you know take a lot of care and intention in how we aim that experience. Um, so, and all of that is speaking to exactly what you said, which is, the, I mean, that's what integration is. It's how do we take this uh, experience that um, we don't understand really. I mean, I don't think like certainly scientifically, not necessarily. I mean, we have models and theories and whatnot, and I think a lot of them are useful, but the, the you know the psychedelic experience itself is just such a deeply mysterious experience um that you know we have to recognize and honor that we, we don't know exactly how it works and um we're that's that that's very much a work in progress and from an evidence-based perspective or the perspective of psychotherapy we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what to do during integration, you know, what does that actually mm -hmm. look like? If you look at the trials and a lot of the sessions, the way that they're structured, they tend to be very open. You know, they mention a lot of the things that we've already discussed, but I think it's really hopeful that there's so much potential to really investigate and figure out what are the best methods or what are the best tools that we can have available for clients to uh, make the most out of their psychedelic experiences. You know, so far the trials have really just been focused on outcome and less about mm -hmm. things like processes of change. And I think as the research continues to mature, you'll see more of that focus. And one of the things you'll see is more of a, more of a focus on tinkering with the therapy portions, you know, like mm -hmm. a trial that looks at, you know, psilocybin experiences, but maybe with, with two or three different therapy models. And so there's, I think yeah. we're just in the, in the very, very early stages of really understanding what integration is and how to best help folks change who've had psychedelics. 
Yeah, and we're going to be in the situation, I think, where because of the outcome data, you know, these are going to become more and more available, you know, in psilocybin four or five years, uh, likely to be approved because we're going to see outcome data on it. But we will not yet have clarity from research about, you know, mechanisms of change and, and, and what you're describing there and how it's working and what the best um, what the best therapeutic approaches are. I don't think we'll have that yet. So we'll be in a situation which, hey, this medicine is available and can be used, but there's no consensus on the best way to do it, right? I think there'll be a consensus maybe on, hey, this is the way we do it, but I don't think it will be necessarily, there'll be a lot of evidence that says, actually, we know that because there's evidence for this and not for that. It'll just be kind of a convention. Well, this is how we tested it. This is what we do. So that's going to be a really interesting to see how, how, you know, how, how we work with that, we, you know, because we'll, we'll know this can be effective, but what's the best way to do it? That, that won't be clear. Mm-hmm. At least not by then. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on that note, I think, you know, this uh, integration, this topic here is, you know, we'll definitely have part two, three, four, five, six, because this is, as you mentioned, such a, a vital topic um, of, uh you know, how to leverage uh, the experience itself for positive change over time. So, so we'll, so we'll visit this ground again. Thanks for coming. Yes. Talk to you later.